Hello and welcome to the Press Room Podcast with me, Sam Duffett. And me, Sam Fielding. The Press Room Podcast is a podcast series bringing you an exclusive insight into the sporting industry by speaking to managers, coaches, players and members of the media to discuss their journey in sport. Yes, on today's podcast, we're speaking to one of the leading ladies in sports broadcasting. It's TalkSport and Sky Sports presenter, Faye Carruthers. That's right, Faye was sharing her experiences on getting into sports broadcasting, her position as a woman in the male-dominated industry, as well as breaking the internet when she was tweeted by none other than James Blunt. So without further ado, please welcome to the Press Room Podcast, it's Faye Carruthers. Yes, welcome to the Press Room Podcast, it's Faye Carruthers. Uh, hello, Faye, how's things with you? Good, Sam. Nice to see you. Yes, uh, in this virtual world now that we live in. Uh, <laughs> used to see each other at games, but not anymore due to what's going on. Uh, I guess it's a bit of a weird time for you, um, Faye, in terms of when you're attending games now and, and obviously working from home and doing different stuff. Sports media and football especially has changed massively over the last few months. Yeah, it's really surreal. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate because I get to have a mix of doing things at home. So I've got Roy Hodgson on Zoom later on, Czech Kuate as well. And then um, I was at a game last night. I was at Chelsea, um, Chelsea, I was at Tottenham Chelsea last night as well. Um, and then I get to go into the studio tomorrow for, for Talk Sport to do game day. So actually I'm really lucky. I get like a real mixture. I'm not stuck at home the whole time. I still get to go uh, to games, which is, I still won't get used to because it's so surreal not having fans there. It's really odd. Um, and then being in the studio, obviously, there's not as many staff in at, at Talk Sports. So, yeah, I, I tell you what, I really miss the camaraderie of the press room, though, and just having to catch up with people because you just don't get the opportunity because you, you don't get when you're at the games. There's no press rooms allowed to be open. So you're kind of waving at people from the other side of the, of the press box. And that's about as much as you can do. Yeah, big thing about journalism and, and the media especially is going out there and having a chat with people and, and communicating and um, and obviously for, you, I mean, for people starting out making contacts and stuff like that. That all comes from being in them situations, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've met some of my you know closest friends out, out and about doing my job um, and it's little anecdotes you pick up, um, little bits of gossip that you pick up, um, but just human interaction like I really underestimated actually I think we all took it for granted before the pandemic didn't we uh, but actually we're all really social beings and you have to be in journalism for sure um, and you know chatting to people and seeing what's going on and finding out what the trends are that's that's all part of it and actually finding out how people are you know I quite like just catching up not football related but just how people are and what they're doing yeah hopefully that'll all come back soon um, if we if we can, Faye, we'll start right at the beginning um, for you. Um, just tell us about, obviously, people will know what you're up to now in your, your career day-to-day stuff and, and various different stuff, but where, where did it all begin for you? I know, I know um, having known, knowing you on a personal level, that you're a big Luton fan. Um, I guess you kind of grew up around there and, and kind of did your love for sport and, and sports media kind of come from, from, the, from the football club? It came from home. Um, my family are all massive sports fans, so I've grown up watching football, watching rugby, watching golf, playing cricket in the back garden. It's a big part of our of our family. My dad actually wouldn't take me to Luton back in the day. Um, I'm getting a bit old now, so it was kind of in the 80s, so you can understand why he perhaps would not have taken me uh, to Kenilworth Road back then. 
Um, but I, I just I just loved watching any kind of football. So Leeds being in the Champions League as it is now um, was so exciting. Anything that I could watch, you know, the FA Cup final, any opportunity to watch football. I had Monday night football dates with my dad, um, which then I found really funny when I then went to work at Sky because Monday night football with my dad wasn't quite the same uh, because I knew I was going to watch reruns of every single part of that game for the whole day at work the next day. So I was like, I'm going to watch all this tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just, just, that's where the passion came from. Um, And I just knew that I wanted to, to, to work in the media I actually wanted to be Moira Stewart when I was a kid there's a I, I still have it stuck on my fridge there's a photograph of me with um, a cardboard box where I've cut cut out this big cardboard box and put myself in it as if I'm in the television reading the news <laughs> so yeah <laughs> did you never think about recreating that then when you when you managed to get on the tower uh, no 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 one needs to see that <laughs> what, what was the first kind of I know you, obviously we've 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 gone in on all the fa- the family stuff there. Was it anything at school or anything in particular that when you started either writing stuff or 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 media classes or anything like that that kind of sparked something off for you? Didn't do media classes. They weren't really a thing uh, back then. I think you could do media studies by the time I went to college. Um, but I was discouraged to do that. Would you believe from a careers advisor? Even though I told them what I wanted to do, they told me not to do uh, media studies, which I thought was a little bit strange. Um, but no, it wasn't that at all. It was just, you know, I used to hang around with the boys talking about football. That's that's what I did. And there were a couple of girls in my school that were that were football fans as well. And that's what we did. And then my oldest friend, uh, Gary, was a massive Luton fan. Um, my family, Luton fans as well, obviously. And, um, and so, yeah, it was just, it wasn't really, I didn't feel any different at all. Um, I, it just was kind of part of part of me already. So then by the time I then was choosing what to do at university it was a no-brainer as far as I I was concerned I wanted to do broadcast journalism um, and there were only a few places that you could do it then and I didn't get the grades to get into Nottingham Trent and I was devastated Um, but you'd had to go um, and do like an interview a group interview you'd had to like send off a a demo of some of your work you'd had to do a quiz a general knowledge quiz and so when it came to it, I rang them and I was said, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to get this through clearing, but, you know, please, will you let me know if you have any spaces? And it was a really competitive course, only like 30 people on it. And um, I got a place and I, I've never been so excited about anything. And still, it was the best three years. I learned so much. And funnily enough, loads of uh, the the people that were on my course are now working within the media, um, commentators, uh, reporters. I love throwing like Kevin Hatchard I went to university with and now I get to talk to him on a Saturday night if we're talking European football on game day. It's brilliant. Um, Adam Summerton, um, the BT commentator as well. Mark Scott for, for Match of the Day. Um, my other friend Anna Stewart is editor of Five Live Drive. You know, that, that there's a load of us all, all around and about the media and we were all sports fans um, as well. And I worked on the on the sports show um, at university that, that we had. So, yeah, for me, it all kind of came to life at, at uni, really. How hard of a decision was it to to go to Nottingham Trent and obviously move a bit further up north. And and when you were there, were you totally focused on the aims you wanted to get and obviously be where you are now? I was, but there was a lot of alcohol that kind of uh, <laughs> put me off that path on a number of occasions. Um, but yeah, to be honest, Sam, I was 
Nottingham was perfect for me because it was close enough to home that I didn't, you know, I'm a bit of a home bird. It's close enough to home that I didn't feel I was miles away. My other option was Preston. That was my backup. And I just, you know, they had a fantastic university, University of Central Lancashire and a great course up there. But I just didn't want to live in Preston. That was five hours from from my family, whereas Nottingham was an hour and a half. And that was a no brainer for me. So I was I was chuffed to bits when I got to go to, to Nottingham. I was always focused, but I kind of I didn't really believe in myself, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, and, and that's followed me my entire career. It's, it's taken until you know, the age I am now without revealing it. But, you know, I, I kind of don't care what anybody thinks. I think I was very, very self-conscious at university and, you know, throughout my 20s and most of my 30s. I was conscious about what people thought of me. Um, and actually, I don't know why I really cared at all because it's not important. It's about what I like to do and what I enjoy and whether I'm giving the best to it. How important is it that like I said there, you put everything that you enjoy into something because at the end of the day, if you are like that, you're going to get to be where you want to be in life. Yeah, I mean, it takes hard, hard work and graft for sure. Um, and you've got to really want it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd never... I never say I want what I've got now at the expense of anything else because there are much more important things in my life. But I am so grateful for the position I've got in and I know that I'm in this position because of hard work. Um, and and also just making contacts and getting to know people and they think, oh, um, they think of you when, when a job comes up. They think, oh, Faye will be good at that or we want Faye in our team. Um, and it's the same with me if ever I'm thinking of, you know, I've recently expanded my team um, on Women's Football Weekly on, on Talk Sport. And one of the girls that I was working with at The Guardian, who I'd done a few podcasts with, I know how much she loves women's football. I'm really impressed with her. She's a great broadcaster on top of it. And I thought, you know, she should be on our team. Um, she's fantastic. And that's the way to get jobs in this industry is just to be yourself, work hard, and people will notice it without you shoving it in their face. We'll go into this a little bit um further in the podcast uh, for a bit more detail but just out of interest um, how many other uh, other females were on the course with you at the same time than when you were when you were starting out at, at Nottingham oh there were quite a few but mainly news so it was only yeah. really um, me and Anna who focused on who focused on sport and actually I didn't end up doing sport in my final dissertation um, I just did sport as my um, aside and what I found really difficult actually when I was at, at university, so we're talking like when I, I left like early 2000s and um, everywhere I went, they said I had a perfect voice for news. And I found it so infuriating and I started to feel as if I was being pigeonholed. Um, and then anytime that I was doing any work, it was always that I was put doing news. And that was quite frustrating. And I had to really, you know, push, not, not being pushy, but I had to pivot and move myself and do the free work to try and get into doing more sport to show that I was versatile and can do that. Uh, but actually it gave me a brilliant background, you know, have, having a news background for sure helps you in sport. You know, sport is not just um, calling games and interviewing managers. There's so much more to it. You talked there a little bit about kind of experiences there, but but how important were those experiences for you that you gained at university and, and how did that put you in a, a strong position when you left? Um, so, gosh, I don't even know. It feels like so long ago. <laughs> um, I think it was just 
helping other people was was really important we all helped each other um and all supported each other um had a really great course of of people um and then when we all left to go into the industry you know everybody again was was really helpful it didn't feel like elbowy compared well there were some people who were elbowy competitive but but not that many it felt more supportive that, that than competitive um and everybody was really pleased for each other uh, laurie ann brown is another one she's at sky she was in the year below me uh, as well and um you know it, they're the kind of uh, the people you know who absolutely love sport and then have ended up in the sports industry we'll all help each other and support each other and that's quite important do you get a chance to go back to the university and, and give speeches to the students? Because I guess you've got so many stories to tell. I've never been back to Nottingham Trent, actually. They've never asked me. <laughs> I should wow, be a bit offended. <laughs> I've, done, I've done loads of other universities. Um, and and I, I give a lot of talks, actually, to, to students. And I help a lot of students with their dissertations. Um, funnily enough, we get a, a lot of students asking you know, whether I can talk about my experiences of being a, a woman in the sports industry. And I'm going to start over the next year or so trying to get them to change the narrative of that. So, you know, it's, we're normalising it now. So it shouldn't have to be a subject that gets airtime in that way, if that makes sense. Fair. I hope the reason why they've not asked you back to Nottingham is not because of that drinking culture you were talking about earlier. <laughs> I hope you've not left an everlasting effect union. on the city. <laughs> Um, t- tell us about how um obviously you you, you go through university uh, many of us have been through it and um you kind of get to a point where um certainly speaking for myself and a lot of people that i know probably about two two and a half years in and you kind of all now kind of jostling for position a little bit in terms of where we're going to go next into you know what's life after university like obviously um you know, it looked like you went straight into Sky then, is that right? And then, you know, you, you had that, that runner position at Sky. Just tell us about how that kind of materialised from going out of university and then into your first job. It was actually a bit different to that. So I'd applied, I'd actually decided I did not want to be a journalist. Um, my work experience, I had a really bad work experience where I was asked to do a few things that I did not feel comfortable with at all. And I thought, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this this is not me at all and so I had a little bit of a fallout with journalism and thought I might come back to it but at the moment I don't think I want to but I thought I want to work within you know the sphere so that if I do change my mind there's still options for me so I'd applied for a couple of jobs one of them actually was as a journalist um was uh uh doing the live text on the bottom of Sky News for the breaking news uh and another one was to be um the the like a team assistant within brand marketing and I got down to the last two of the brand marketing one um and didn't get it they gave it to someone more experienced which made complete sense but then they got back to me and said look we were really impressed with you there's another job going um to the PA of um to be the PA um of one of the marketing directors and I was thinking oh god I'm not sure whether I've got I'm organized enough to be a PA but anyway I went for the interview got on really well with the the guy and got the job so got my first job I was at Sky I was in the kind of place I wanted to be and um dreadful PA by the way so bad (laughs) (laughs) and um but the thing is my boss was lovely and he had said to me that I know this isn't ultimately what you want to do uh but you know stay with me for for a year if you can and it got to 10 months and and I had been going so 
uh, sky used to be so much smaller than it than it is now, and you could walk in between the, the the buildings very very easily, and you had to walk through Sky Sports to get to the canteen. Um, and I'd got chatting to somebody, and I you know asked about runners' positions and managed to meet the the woman that um, booked runners. Got on really well with her, and she used to give me uh Saturdays so I would log for goals on Sunday so I'd sit in a room being paid to watch football and write down key incidents and the timings and stuff um and then I did various other sports in in the evening so I'd do my nine to five job Monday to Friday and then I'd go and I'd like log some golf uh in the evening or NFL which was a bit of a shock when I then had to stay till three four in the morning um (laughs) and uh tennis um, which was which was brilliant. And then a job came up 10 months in um, as maternity cover uh, for um, the assignments desk at Sky Sports News. So basically booking camera crews and, and sat trucks and, and stuff with the news desk. And I, I got it. So that I went to Sky Sports News and it was brilliant. And then what I used to do, uh, so that that job worked on as four days on, four days off. So on my four days off, I used to do some running um, on Sky Sports News um, and do some production shifts at, at Sky News Radio. Um, that's how I kind of got back into it. Did you always know or did you always knew that when you were starting that you had to do maybe the, the little jobs that they're running around to, to eventually get you, you move into reporting? Yeah, 100 um, percent. Always knew that. And actually, I probably did it for, for quite a long time. And then I kind of gave up on on being front of house in, in lots of ways. Again, that was a confidence thing. And, you know, various bosses who weren't particularly supportive, um, which I've spoken about b- before. Um, I really think you need people to believe in you. Um, and I wasn't the traditional, you know, I didn't dress up every day to go to work and wear loads of makeup and you know, not, not that I'm saying that other people necessarily did, but there was there was definitely a culture at the time where the more glamorous you were, the more likely you were to make a transition uh, potentially. That was quite that was quite frustrating. Um, but at the same time, I'm quite resilient, and you know, I've I've always loved radio. Radio was always my first passion. I'd never, you know, I, I'd always wanted to 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 work in radio, and so for me, being able to do the radio stuff that was enough that was all I need that was all I I needed but I'm very much I'm quite an ambitious person in terms of I don't if I set my mind to something I won't rest until I've got I've done everything I can to do it and it's not me that's the reason why I've not got what I wanted if it's somebody else then that's fine it's out of my control but if it's something I can control and I can honestly sit there and say I didn't give my all to do that then I'll be I'd be annoyed with myself um but you know I loved I loved working at Sky still do it's a fantastic company um and what they're doing now is is brilliant they've they've moved started to move away from the traditional ways of doing things which I think is very important for for new people coming into the industry to to see that because that certainly wasn't the case with sports media in in the past and and it's vital that that continues like you said there, Phil, I know, I know um, I've known you as well, that you, you really love radio, you love working in radio, but how important was it for you, certainly in the early days, to be able to be 
kind of fluid in working across multi-platforms and being able to communicate in different ways. That must have been really vital, both at the time and then now as you move forward uh, into kind of the, the present day where you're now working across multi-platforms and, and do it quite, you know, quite comfortably. I find it quite funny, actually, because radio always used to get frowned upon um, by TV people. TV was always seen as the pinnacle. And actually, now loads of TV people have gone into radio now, I think it's much easier to be translatable from radio onto television than it is from television onto radio, because on television, you have pictures that convey a message. On radio, you have to do it with your own words and descriptions and what you're seeing in front of you. And that's a very different skill. And they are both very, very different. Um, but at the same time, both are communicating. You're communicating with people. Um, I find radio to be a much more intimate medium personally um and i'm finding what what's really interesting with the kind of i'm going to sound like a right oldie when i say this the digital revolution <laughs> i don't mean it like that you know what i mean but like youtube and um you know people setting up their own podcasts and doing their own thing it's really real it's real people as opposed to the media selecting these people and putting them in the mainstream you're actually you know some of it's brilliant some of it not so um but the fact that people are able to communicate with people that they want to rather than um, somebody in a suit deeming whether or not they can communicate with the rest of the world via their medium. I, I, lo I love that. It, it means it's more real, it's more accessible. And at the end of the day, it is about communication, isn't it? And, and meeting people on a level, on your same level. Um, and I think that's really important. And that's what excites me about the media now, scares me at the same time, because the older I get, you know, the more, you know, I feel as if I, I could be, you know, disjointed from that a little bit more, which I think a lot of um, traditional media people probably think as well. But equally, I love adapting and changing. And um, and certainly we've all had to, to do that. I think probably the only thing that I would love not to have to do is social media. Um, it's... It's I guess that's great. been a big change on it over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's a, just a change in the way people use it. I think that's the difference. When Twitter first started, I, um, I was at Talk Sport the first time round, and you know it was a really big thing. I remember Adrian Durham going, "You know, you've all got to get on Twitter," um, and it was just a way of communicating with the listeners, which was lovely because otherwise you just had like texts and stuff, but listeners could actually message you. And it was like, oh, hi. Oh, thanks very much. You know, just, just nice to be able to have that interaction with people. Unfortunately, now it's turned into a beast where people use it to access people and then abuse them. And that is just not acceptable. Um, and it's put a mirror up a lot to the mirror, uh, to the media as well. And, you know, the, the quicker it's regulated in some way that the better as far as I'm concerned and there'll be lots of people that don't agree with me on that that's fine um but scroll through my messages if I dare to criticize a, a football team for their performance on a Saturday night and fans of that football team don't agree with me then have a have a read of my um, my timeline then um and tell me whether you think it should be regulated or not we, we, we spoke to Stuart Pike, who's obviously a sports broadcaster, 35 years in it. And one of the tips he gave to the listeners when his show comes about is, is just ignore those people who are sending in abusive messages. Because if you start replying to them, then 
you're just going to let open the door for, for more criticism. I, I guess that's a bit of advice that you might give someone who's, who's looking to get into the sports industry. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Rugby League. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I never used to engage at all with with abusive messages. Um, And I'm queen of mute uh, because I don't want to give them the satisfaction of blocking them. And then they won't know if if I've read it or not. If they've been muted, they've got no idea whether I've read it. I don't want to live in an echo chamber. I've said that on many occasions. I think you know, proper debate is really important, but abusive debate is not because it's not debate. It's, you know, you're just, you're having a go at somebody for their gender um, or because you don't like what they say rather than saying, oh, okay, I get your point. However, dot, dot, dot. There's, there's ways to disagree with people that doesn't need to have insults in it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with him with that. However, there are some things where I have just gone, I'm sorry, you've got no basis for saying that to me. I don't understand what what you want from that. Um, And if I feel I've got something better to add or can educate them in some way, then I will respond. But I've I've never been of the retweeting and, you know, highlighting people. I don't want to give them the airtime for one. Um, And also, you also have to be really quite careful because you don't know the mental health state of some people who are, messaging you and you might take offense to it but you don't know where that's coming from um and i think that's really really important and so potentially exposing them like that isn't going to help anybody i've never thought about that in terms of you never know what's happening on the other side of the the phone the the keyboard it's it's mad really what goes on in 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 society these days but I'm, i'm guessing i'll probably both agree that hopefully something come in place in terms of regulation because it's it's not good in the world and there's so many bad things going on that we just need to be positive and uh, try and stop that but um, if I can move away from that I'm someone who's done a bit of radio work and um, sports commentating for, for Fleetwood when I was there do you think it's a, a skill that you can do just one or the other because you don't see these days that there's many, I say, TV broadcasters that can do the radio side of things. Do you think it's a unique skill to do either one or or do you think people can do both? I think you can do both, but I do think they're unique skills in, in their own right, uh, definitely. But there, there are plenty of people that, that are able to do both. I would say some people are better suited to, to, to one style than, than another, um, but it's still translatable. It still comes down to communication and, and bringing people a sense of occasion in some way. Um, and there are different ways of doing that with um, pictures and different ways of doing that with your voice. And I think probably for, for radio commentators, they find it harder doing television because you don't need to explain as much. You know, less is more because uh, the pictures do the talking and television commentators would find radio slightly harder because they have to talk more. Um, but, you know, these are intelligent people to be able to call a game in the first place, as you know, is quite a skill. Um, and so I I think they're pretty adept at being able to go to one or the other but they probably Mm -hmm. have a preference Today's podcast is brought to you by the nationally acclaimed Friends of Ham Bar and Chartery Friends of Ham have recently launched their online shop to bring people all over the country some of their finest artisan cheese natural wines and craft beers that the world has to offer 
Whether it's a few drinks, nibbles, or a whole night in, Friends of Ham have you covered with everything from small portions of meat or cheese for cooking, cheese and meat platters, as well as substantial food and drink pairing experiences. Nationwide deliveries are available. Go and check them out at www.friendsofham.com for an exclusive 10% discount. The Press Room podcast listeners can use the code PRESSROOM10 at checkout for the 10% discount. In terms of your radio stuff, Fair, I know you've obviously done stuff with BBC Five Live, Final Score. Um, tell us how much you enjoyed working kind of something a bit different when you were at Absolute Radio. What was that like for you? Obviously, a bit of a different scene. Uh, I know I haven't spoken to you before. I think you, that was a really great, great time for you. I know you enjoyed doing that. Oh, I loved it. I, the crazy gang. <laughs> I loved it. Um, not the crazy gang. Oh, my God. Because we were talking about Wimbledon uh, before yeah. this podcast. The groovy gang. <laughs> the groovy the gang. Groovy gang. Uh, that was gr- such good fun. I mean, I'd done a lot of breakfast radio beforehand and I'd vowed I would never, ever do breakfast radio again because it was so exhausting and I was so tired. Um, but it genuinely was a pleasure getting up every single morning and working with that team. We just had a laugh from the minute I walked in to the minute. I, I, it, I never felt like it was work, particularly. Um, it was a giggle. Um, my family all listened and that was great because they hadn't listened to me on the radio for a long, for a long time. Um, got to go to loads of gigs, got to do loads of fun stuff. It, it, it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it and it gave me an opportunity oh, I'm gonna sound it's gonna sound a little bit um self-indulgent <laughs> gave me a bit of an opportunity to, to actually show people my personality um because I like to have a giggle and actually a lot of the time on on the radio when you're just doing news bulletins or you know inserts about about games can't really inject that much personality into it whereas you can be yourself you're pretty exposed as yourself on a radio breakfast show um and they want I'm quite a private person and there was a lot of you know talking about um you know my boyfriend at the time who's now my husband um and then when we got engaged and then stuff about my family and normally I'd be like that's my that's my kind of kind of business um but it was it was really brilliant and I'm still I'm still friends with all the guys and meet up with them when we're allowed uh for for drinks so yeah I, I absolutely I think it was two years I did on that show it was great fun do you think being able to put your personality across and, and for the first time it kind of came out then has helped you with the stuff that you do now obviously with the like the the, the show and talk sport and stuff like that the women in football stuff uh, obviously that's now more of a and even when when you do podcasts and stuff you, you know you kind of come out of your comfort zone a little bit and open up a bit more I guess it kind of started then for you did it yeah so do you know what I'd never actually thought about it like that Sam and, and you've hit the nail on the head it, it probably was I felt I felt like I could be myself on air and, you know, wasn't worried about it. Whereas before I probably would have been worried about it. And actually loads of people in the industry listened to that show in, in sport. And I didn't realize that I had absolutely no idea um, that people were listening. And I, and I really think it helped me with, with a lot of work because they saw a different side to me. And, um, you know, I, I got quite a lot of work afterwards f- from that. Um, so yeah, I'll always be really grateful. Coming in there, you said that you didn't think people were listening to to what were you doing. I know there's so many people if they're writing blogs or they're doing their own YouTube stuff that actually you never know who's actually going to come across this video. And if you've got a talent or you've got a, a personality that people like, that if someone's watching it and you're in the right place at the right time, just, I guess that's another tip that just just do things that you enjoy because you never know who's listening. 
Oh, definitely. And you should always do things you enjoy. This life is very, very short. What's the point in doing a load of stuff for your whole working life that you don't actually like doing? You know, I always feel so privileged and so grateful that I'm doing a job I genuinely love. And even when, you know, you have like days where you have a crazy week where it's so relentless and you're so tired. I always, if I start to have a moan up, I always sit there and go, uh, check yourself, please. <laughs> this is not work at all. You know, if I could tell my 18 year old self that this would be my job now, I would be absolutely delighted. Um, I probably wouldn't work quite as hard because <laughs> I just think, oh, well, I'm doing it. So it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's um, I feel grateful all the time for doing this. And I would urge anybody if there's any time in your life where you just think, Do you know what? I'm not really feeling this. Start to put the feelers out about what you might want to do instead or, or how you can transition or or, or do something mildly related to your skill set but in perhaps a field that you find more engaging do you think now's the the, the, the kind of the right time to do it? i know we're in, in a pandemic and you've not maybe got all the access but do you think having more time on your hands now that this is the time that people should be putting out feelers like you said yeah definitely um i'd also say just look after yourselves you know you could have spent 10 months of this pandemic like grafting and stressing mm -hmm. about what your next move is and actually I think we all just need to look after ourselves a little bit without wanting to sound happy clappy about it um you know it's important at the same time to realize this is a very very strange time but yeah there are things that you can be doing there are networking events online that you can be going to there are you know I I, I regularly log on and, and listen to webinars of subjects I'm interested in it, it's a it's a time we can all learn and find out something that we maybe hadn't thought we were interested in um i've just started well i just started in october um i started studying for an mba in football industries at the university of liverpool I, i've always wanted to get back into education i find learning fascinating i want to know more about about the industry and um this gave me a little bit of time to be able to do it and and, and to sit and and actually try and enhance my skills and it's been brilliant. I've absolutely loved it. I've learned so much and thought, God, I wish I'd known this when I was 20. Um, and, but I, I maybe wouldn't have been able to, or I, I'd probably been a bit, little bit scared um, to have dedicated my time to do that if it wasn't for what's going on now. But because I'm now not traveling as much because I'm doing a lot of work from home, you know, it's a great opportunity to just sit and, and you know, learn something you're you're interested in um in more depth what other stuff um do you enjoy doing away from kind of sport and, and work um fair obviously there's a it, it can be a million miles an hour i know speaking to some people they do some really odd stuff away from work that just is totally different from the relentlessness of watching football all the time is there anything that, that's a bit quirky that you kind of get up to or or anything like that not necessarily quirky i'm a netballer i love my netball um not played for a year now me and my teammates were saying that on on whatsapp earlier on i can't believe it's it's been a year since we played um so yeah massive netball fan uh, but i also train I, tr I train a lot um i like weight training and that is my that's my sanity so three mornings a week i get up and and train i spend a lot of time a lot of time on my spin bike now um as well i think probably after the pandemic I'll go to the gym less that's a whole load of time I don't need I can now do it all at home 
uh, which is great. But I get a real buzz out of that. I get a buzz out of seeing how how much I've progressed. Um, I just I love spending time with my family. I, if I could spend more time with my family, I would. Um, oh, I can actually. I don't know why I'm saying that. I can. It's my choice, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, I love music. In fact, we were talking. Uh, my mum and dad asked me to listen to Virgin Radio this morning because Dave Grohl was on um, from the Foo Fighters. It's the one band I've not managed to see because we had tickets a couple of years ago and he broke his leg. And oh, I no. met Dave Grohl at Absolute. He came in and literally the coolest man on earth. Like he's just got this aura around him. He's incredible. Um, so yeah, so that's yeah, going to gigs, which you know, obviously haven't had to, haven't been able to do at the moment, and and walking. I, I, I love walking um, and traveling um yeah I'm not I'm not a particularly complex person I, I I just like learning about stuff and I don't have any hobbies as such I'd love to read more um I now have audible instead so I can you know listen to books at least when I'm when I'm walking um but I don't I can't remember the last time I sat down for an hour with a book in my hand and I miss doing that so maybe I should start doing that again coming in on this and, and mental health is a, a big topic for you, as, as you're well aware but when you're in the work industry in sport and we know it's hectic as Sam and, and you've just said but for, for your mental health state how important is it that you can just switch off sometimes and, and go for a walk or or go and exercise in the gym how important is that for you? Oh vital um, actually the one thing that the pandemic has brought me is walking um, I walk every single day normally for an hour or two hours um, and it is my headspace time um, Sometimes I have to do work on my phone. <laughs> Sometimes like the emails are relentless and there's no escape from it. Most of the time I just try and turn stuff off. And actually I've just, um, it's going to sound a bit indulgent, but I've done it very cheaply. So my phone was just up for, uh, due for upgrade. So I've upgraded my phone and my old phone, I'm now just getting a SIM only like five pounds a month contract. Um, and then my work phone can be switched off at a certain time of night because I've lost count of the amount of times I've been having a WhatsApp chat with a mate or my mum and I've gone to reply and then something work-related has come through and I thought, oh God, I've got to do that right now, otherwise I'll forget. And then I forget to message back my mate or my mum. Like, that's not acceptable. Like, mate and mum come first. <laughs> um, so I've got myself a separate phone and so for my walks... I am relishing, um, so my new SIM arrives next week, I am relishing leaving my work phone at home and just taking my, um, my personal phone. And I think it's really important to switch off. I try and have time out of social media. Um, I used to really stress about it and think, oh, well, I need to be visible. Do you know what? I don't care anymore. I know that sounds really bad. I, I, just, I just don't. It's not that important. Um, if I feel like last night I was at Tottenham Chelsea I forgot to put something on Twitter about it it does it really matter you know not really um and I think I've just got to that stage with things now um which I might regret further down so it's actually really nice to to document things but mentally you need um some time out Netflix has been great over uh, over this time as well I've pretty much I can, I can highly recommend Shit's Creek to anybody in fact I'm going to watch it all over again 20 minute 20 minute episodes just to lighten the day and make you laugh brilliant 
Well, when you're on your walk next time and you've got your your, pers- uh, your personal phone, you can listen to uh, your podcast on the Predary, uh, Press Room podcast, shall we say. So that's uh, all fun and games. <laughs> um, I was waiting for that, actually. Come on, Faye. I was expecting that then. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a little bit of a plug there. But a bit of a quite a, a broader question here, Faye. But do you think that women are represented as they should be in media roles? And, and has it improved since you started out? definitely improved since I've started out yeah and definitely getting better it's become um, a very trendy topic um, and I'm just waiting for the next trend to come in um, to take that over Uh, but I'm hoping that actually it's just being normalized now and which I which I feel like it is because what I want is for young men and women coming into the industry to think that it's uh, an accessible place for everybody. You know, I'm very keen to eradicate the kind of sexist, jostling, culture, which seems to be going, um, still, still around, but seems to be going because that's probably the one thing that is incredibly intimidating to a lot of young women in particular coming into the industry. I've, I've, I've always worked with men, so I, I kind of don't really feel intimidated by that myself. But equally, it wasn't always comfortable walking into a press room. You know, sometimes I'll still walk into the press room and be the only female there. The difference is now I hold myself differently. I kind of used to shuffle in and just hide. <laughs> um, but I want every young girl who's desperate to work in sport for the right reasons, because they love sport, um, to be able to walk into a, to a press room and be welcomed and for and to not feel like they can't be part of the conversation um were you welcome sorry were you welcomed into the press room when you first walked in i wasn't unwelcome um there were some people who were more welcoming than others um that but that's still that that's still the case now there are some journalists who are friendly and some journalists who just aren't and you know that's just totally up to them isn't it it's uh you know, I don't think that's got anything to do with the fact I'm female. Um, I just think that people are just in their own little world sometimes. Um, but certainly it always, it felt a little bit like, you know, who I was always very conscious of what I wore. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want anybody to think I was in working in sport for a reason, because I think when I started, um, as I say, in the early 2000s, it felt a little bit like that. It felt as if, well, what, what do you want from working in this industry? Um, dot, dot, dot. And I didn't like that at all. Um, I still don't like it now. I still feel as if that, you know, it, it is around. I feel like there's a few things that are still around. I think now it's become a little bit as if some people look at you as if you're a, a box tick, you know, I've, I've earned my stripes. I've, you know, I've been, I've been around for, for long enough now that I don't think anybody could ever level that at me. Um, they've seen how much, how much I've grafted for this. Um, however, I still, I still think there are some really old school um, belief systems that will take a long time to be completely eradicated. And, that there is a lot of concern that the old school way is is on its way out and that worries some people and they they're threatened by it and i think they shouldn't be threatened by it because actually like i've had some amazing mentors um 
you know, male journalists, older, who, you know, they understand that the new crop of people coming in, you can learn from them. I can learn from the new crop of people coming through, you know, te technology that, that they're using and the innovation that they have and the way that they view, report and enjoy sport is different to the way that I view and enjoy sport. And so I love learning from younger people coming in. And I think if people were more open to that, it, it would really it would really help and feel less threatened uh, by it. But definitely it's changing. And there are some amazing, amazing, supportive people in the industry. Bless you, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, um, I remember the first time that, even, I mean, I know it's different for, for, for us, um, you know, a male going into it. And I remember the first time I went into a football press box at 21 and it's an intimidating place because you're looking around and there's people that have been there for a long time. And um, I remember when, when starting in, in club media at Fleetwood and, and trying to have conversations with people who've been in and, and either commented or, or been a journalist for a number of years and, you're trying to put your point of view across about something about a topic or anything. And they're kind of like, well, what do you know? Kind of thing, you know? And, and, and I remember that that kind of took a bit of time to kind of get, get through really, but I can, I can, I can see where that intimidation probably still goes on a little bit now. You probably don't feel it as much obviously because you've been, been around it for many years and a lot of people know who you are. Um, I suppose for people who are starting out to get through that point of knowing that you belong there, because no one, no one gets into that position either in a, press box or in a in a stadium at a game unless they deserve to be there I know it's easier said than done fair but having that confidence in yourself is is quite important actually it, it's really interesting you say that Sam because I had to think about this a few years ago and how much of the intimidation that I felt was the room intimidating me or me feeling intimidated because that's what you've got to think about is are, are you going in there and thinking I don't belong here or you're just walking in and they're just getting on with their jobs I think there's a lot of ego involved in that actually maybe it's got nothing to do with us at all maybe nobody batted an eyelid when we walked into the press room nobody thought you're too young nobody thought you're female and actually they were just getting on with their work and chatting with their mates because quite often I'll be in a press room and I'll be chatting with my mates and I don't notice people coming in necessarily um I always try and be welcoming particularly if I see someone young coming in I'll always try and give them a bit of a reassuring smile because I think I could probably could have done with that um on a few occasions but actually how much of it was how I already had thought I would feel walking into a press room as opposed to how those men made me feel and and that's quite interesting I don't know the answer to it but it's interesting to think about it well think about how many people you've probably seen and not seen in the however many years you've been in press box 20 years or whatever of, of new people who've come in for the first time i think about it myself when we used to have lads on um you know guys and girls on work experience with us and, and they're coming in and it's literally the first time they've ever been to a game and you try and kind of um let them do their own thing and see how they adapt with it but also you don't want to hold their hand because you know you're kind of letting them free really and, and yeah they've, they've kind got of got yeah, they've, they've yeah. kind of got to experience it for themselves. And and, and I think about people that, and, and you'll know this yourself, that you'll know certain people that you go to certain games now and you go, he's oh, miserable, sod him. Or, you know, he never says boo to a goose about anything. I know loads of people like that. But if I walked in for the first time somewhere and I saw them kind of people, I'd think, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not sure this is for me. I must have done something wrong here. But actually, yeah. when you get to know people, you think, oh, well, he's just always like that. Oh, she's always like that. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? It's a bit of a funny one, really. Yeah, and and it, it rarely is about you. Rarely is. They've, you know, again, like we were talking about with the social media, sometimes you've got to think, what's the other end? What's going on for that person? You know, is them snapping at you or being rude or not being friendly actually got anything to do with you? Or is it just that they're having a bad day and this is the last place on earth that they want to be right now and they're just not very good at hiding it? because something awful is going on at home or they're stressed or, or something else. And I think, you know, there are some people who are just bloody rude. <laughs> so you can't yeah. really give that many excuses to them. But equally, there are other people who just have a lot going on. And it's quite important to be aware that you're not the only person, you know, there. That The world doesn't, much as we all would love to think, uh, particularly when we're younger, that the world revolves around us, it really doesn't. <laughs> Just, I want to move on a little bit. COVID life has been with us for, is it 11, 10, 11 months now? It seems a, a lifetime. Yeah, too long. That's the uh, the right answer. Um, but how, how have you adapted to, to life? Or, or, I'll rephrase that. How have you adapted to working under COVID restrictions or, or COVID life? I've loved it. Apart from no fans at grounds, I've actually loved it in lots of ways because I can do two press conferences in a, in a day. Um, where So, for example, as I said to you earlier, I've got Crystal Palace this afternoon, I've got Cecho Coate and then Roy Hodgson. Well, I'd have had to leave an hour ago to get to Crystal Palace, to be there to set up, and then I've, I'd have had to get home. As it is, I'll come off this call with you and then I'll go straight into the other side of the booth and do and do my, um, my interviews and then sit and type them up. And it's allowed me space to do other things. Um, and I think that's not to be underestimated when you think about the travel time that's involved in everything football related. It took me nearly two hours to get to Tottenham last night, um, an hour to get back. So three hours of my day sat in my car. Um, and it used to be much more, much more than that when I was working for Soccer Saturday. I'd be on the train, you know, by eight o'clock in the morning going up to Hull and I'd get home at nine o'clock at night. You know, that's a long day for one three o'clock kickoff um so it's enabled me to do a lot more with with my time um which has been lovely so much as I miss the social side of things I miss seeing people I miss chatting to people I was lucky enough in the summer to go to Leicester um when things opened up a little bit and I went to Leicester and I saw the guys from PLP that I that I work with um saw the guys from Sky that I work with saw some cameramen I hadn't seen for ages and just catching it like I didn't actually want to leave I just wanted to kind of like stand and and you know chew the fat for a bit in the car park which I did in the rain it was lovely I missed that side of it definitely but I have to say there are advantages to to what the pandemic's brought in terms of what you can actually do time-wise um and it gives you, you know, I've had more prep time, um, more work time. And, you know, I've got a kettle right next to me. Dreams. <laughs> hey, we never used to have one of them at Fleetwood, bloody hell. <laughs> um, uh, one, one final uh, point uh, before we jump onto the, the, the quick fire questions at the end. Um, it's interesting, really, you talk about the, the time element there, about how it's changed with, with press conferences and stuff like that. I'll, I don't know about your opinion, but I'll be surprised if we ever go back to what it was like before now, just because I think 
people probably I know there's a social aspect of of seeing people and, and that kind of stuff, but I just think for the ease of everybody, of uh, you know, the journalists, broadcasters, and uh, the clubs, I think it's probably going to be around for some time. This kind of way of of working, I just think it allows people to do more. And yes, you miss the social side of it, but I think as a everything else it seems to fit quite nicely really yeah it's really difficult because I think like certainly a one-on-one interview with a player is vastly different on zoom than it is face-to-face you can get so much more out of a player face-to-face they can read your facial expressions you're not trying to trip them up it's more of a conversation you're putting them at ease because you're chatting to them while the cameraman is setting up that for me is not the same and it never will be the same the press conferences, because they're so, I mean, God, you, you've sat through, well, although with Joey Barton, in fairness, they probably weren't that dull most of the time. But, you know, you sat through your fair amount, fair amount of press conferences that can be quite dull. Um, and it's hard because you lose the connection to the club. And I think now more than ever, particularly with Premier League clubs, we shouldn't be losing that connection between journalists and the clubs. And the more that happens over Zoom, the more that's likely. Um, So from a journalistic point of view, I mean, certainly if I was working for a club, I think it's a no-brainer, definitely. Um, But from a journalist point of view, I don't think that would be great. You know, you you can be muted. If you're asking an awkward question, you can be muted. You can't be muted in a press conference. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I sit sit on the fence with that. Mm. Yeah, I remember when we were we were doing the uh, the playoffs last year, and we were going through all this, and it was right at the beginning of of all this kind of April May time, and we thought, wow, this is great. Why have we not done this before? It's yeah. miles better. We don't have people asking awkward stuff. There um, you go. We don't have them hanging around the training ground because that's also where you can pick stuff up. You might be walking out, and you might see someone who's training who's not normal training, or walking off a pitch of an injury, and you think, all oh, right, you know, not at all that's gone now, you know, yeah. or, or you might bump into someone in the corridor. Or, Hey, what's going on with this? Or what's going on with that? We never had to worry about that towards the end of the end of last season, which was good. Yeah, I, I still remember seeing Jose Mourinho when he was sacked by Chelsea the second time, um, and then seeing Roman Abramovich when I went to the loo, and I was the only. All the other journalists were outside, and I was doing a PLP um, interview. I think it might have been with Ruben Loftus Cheek, and um, and I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody about it because I was working for, for PLP um, and that that's the kind of stuff that had, you know, Chelsea were obviously hadn't let anybody on, but now you're, you're not letting people in at all. Um, and so I can 100% understand why the clubs would want to keep it like that. Um, but I just, I don't know. They have a lot of power nowadays, so maybe they can, uh, maybe they can do that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Definitely. Um, we've got some quick fire questions uh, for just to wrap it up with. I know you're definitely the busiest person we've had on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I know your diary is jam packed, so we'll try and rattle through these as quick as we can. Quite a few we've had sent in, and, and some of the stuff that we've added in as well. Um, we'd, we'd like to know what's your favourite, and I know you probably have to be careful with what you say about your least favourite ground to work at, football ground. Perhaps with a least favourite, could be probably maybe rephrase that to maybe the coldest or the the kind of not least favourite because of, of, of the people, maybe just how it, how it all is. Okay, so my favourite is, uh, well, it's, it's obviously Kenilworth Road, but if I was going to pick any other stadium, it would be uh, Craven Cottage. I love going to Craven Cottage. Um, 
least favourite. Oh, there have been a few where the gantry is like whippy cold. But what I think it was Exeter or it might all, oh, do you know what? Burton might be a good one as well, which whatever ground I have to climb up a very narrow ladder with a bag on my back um, and get onto a very rickety gantry. That's that they're my worst. Um, and so, yeah, add in the cold with that as well. So, yeah, maybe I'd say those, but you get a warm like that the people at Exeter and the people at Burton are amazing and lovely. It would purely be the gantries is the reason. Have you ever been to Oldham? Because that's probably one of the coldest places that me and Sam have been. It's on It's on my list is Oldham. Ooh. I've not been to Boundary Park. No, I'm gutted. It, I've, I think I've got about 16 grounds left to tick off. And really annoyingly, a lot of the additional grounds I've ticked off are now in the National League. So I actually have ticked off almost you know almost 92 but a lot of them are in uh, in the national league now but um yeah not oldham oh, you've talked about that was my next question how many grounds have you got left of the uh the 92 so you're a, a step ahead there but uh, i'll move on to the next one uh, jody on twitter uh, she says uh, what is the best advice that you can give someone who is starting out in journalism and broadcasting okay jody um work hard be prepared to make people tea I always use this when I talk to people about getting into the industry. Don't ever think that making people tea or coffee is below you because if you're making tea or coffee for either a presenter, um, a guest, the producer, the director, if you get it right, believe me, people don't get it right. If, if say, for example, your director likes to have a black coffee with two sugars and without them asking you for a coffee, Every hour or so, you bring them a black coffee with two sugars and you've got it right every time, they're going to think that runner is a smart cookie. And so whenever there is then an opportunity, they're more likely to give it to you than they are somebody who never asks them if they want a cup of tea, never does anything proactive or gets their coffee order wrong all the time. Never thought of that. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've had a couple of things on Twitter about this fair, and I've I've never mentioned it to you before, so I'm I'm not sure if if it's a, a topic of humour or not. But what's this thing about a James Blunt connection? Oh, what's no. this What's this all about? You got to oh, explain this to us. So James Blunt um, tweeted out um, just over a year, maybe eighteen months ago, um, a gurning photograph of me on on Soccer Saturday. Um, with my cheekbone, I've got quite high cheekbones, but this particular photo screenshot, I looked like James Blunt and he hadn't been on Twitter for a while and he'd put up, this is what I've been up to um, recently. <laughs> and it went mental, like absolutely mental. And funnily enough, um, Phil Williams from Five Live on Times Radio got in touch with me um, a couple of months ago and said, I've got James Blunt on, will you come on and talk to him? Um, and I'm in James Blunt's book that he's released. Um, and he messaged me directly afterwards and said, I'm so sorry, I owe you a drink. And so he'd invited me and my husband to his pub that he owns near Stamford Bridge. I haven't been uh, yet, um, but, you know, to, to have a drink to apologise because I did have a big spate then of people singing You're Beautiful to me. I still get it on Twitter. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Had a few people in the, uh, I think, the comment section on Twitter saying, "How did you uh, make these lyrics up and stuff?" I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was the initial connection. That's interesting. Yeah, quite like, quirky I mean, on Twitter. And he, he, he fires back at a lot of people, doesn't he? I've seen that. Oh, he's hilarious. But the thing, the the, the thing is, I was just going into a meeting at Talk Sport at the time, 
And so my phone had gone off and I came out of this meeting and I don't have notifications for Twitter on my phone. I had a message from Bianca Westwood going, well, you've broken Twitter this afternoon. And I was like, what have I done? I've been in a meeting for an hour. And I went on and I was like, oh my God. My first instinct was, I don't look like James Blunt. Like immediately, like, oh my God, the vanity kicks in. And the second bit was, oh my God, this is hilarious. Um, then my mum was like, but I don't understand it. You don't look anything like him. I was like, no, no, no. In this photograph, I do, mum. I know on a daily basis, I don't look like James Blunt. But in this photograph, I do. Well, I just don't think you do. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had a real, but it literally has followed me around for 18 months now. Interesting story there. Um, <laughs> a bit back to the football a little bit now. What's the what's the maddest game that you've been to as a, a broadcaster where it's maybe goals, red cards? What's the most? I can see you got your hands in your or yeah. head in your hands here. It was the first game I ever covered for final score. It was the maddest game I've ever been to. It was Charlton Doncaster at the Valley, and it was the most torrential rain to the point that the um, uh, the pitch was a bog and the goal mouse was just like the ball was just stopping in the mud. Um, and I, I can't even remember what the score was when it was abandoned. It might have been three, two, but there was a sending off like five, six goals. Um, the Doncaster players were out with pitchforks at halftime, um, helping repair the pitch. And then the referee just abandoned the game. Um, that was the, and that was my first ever game on um, final score. And my producer at the time said, if you can cover that, you can cover anything. And it gave me an enormous amount of confidence. So yeah, that one. Yeah, I don't think we've been to a, we've been to a mad game. So I'm trying to think of one for, for Philippe with it. Any, any game where, where our friend Joey was manager was a mad game. <laughs> there it was. True, true. <laughs> um, you never fact, know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> You need to interview each other on that, I think. That's a whole podcast, I reckon. Well, we're hoping to get Joey on. I spoke to him last week. Uh, Brilliant. With him and, um, yeah, he's uh, he's certainly, I mean, what what a, what a two and a half years we had together. But um, never, ever a dull moment, ever. Never a dull I, moment. I can imagine. I used to really enjoy interviewing him. I thought it was great. But, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Sometimes I used to enjoy when he was doing interviews, but then he'd come out and say something totally mad and then we'd have to, he used to have a thing where he used to say something like that and then afterwards he'd just turn and laugh at me and then kind of almost say, well, you can just deal with that now. You know, you can pick up the pieces from that. And he'd do you know, but do you know what? Wherever, whatever you decide to do next, you can always have that on your CV as someone say, you know, what, what, what difficult situations have you had to handle in your career, Sam? And you're like, well, <laughs> here is where the list. Begin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it was, it was great fun to be fair. And I always think... Um, I always think the best people in, in sport and certainly in life as well are the ones with the big characters, keep you on your toes. Um, you know, you don't get into, or well, I certainly didn't get into into football, into media for a dull life. Um, nice. And I definitely didn't get it when we were working with him, but it was great fun. And um, yeah, you never know, we might end up working together again. Never, I'm, oh, I'm not sure. You. And I'm not sure I can, uh, I'm not sure we'll put up with it for much longer, but we'll see. We, we got on great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was good fun. Good fun. Love it. Uh, final question um, of the podcast, Faye, and we're going to ask everyone on the first series of the uh, Press Room Pod, but life on the road as, uh, uh, in, in the sport industry is, uh, is crazy, as you know. But if you were to go to a, a, a Tesco, Asda, co-op and get a meal deal, what would your go-to meal deal be? Sandwich, pasty, crisp or a drink? 
Okay, MS meal deal every day of the week, gluten free, um, chicken and avocado wrap. Although last night I had chicken and bacon, it wasn't as nice. Um, with um, cheese and onion crisps and a coffee. There you go. Oh, <laughs> chicken and avocado. It must be doing well at Talk well, Sport. It's, like, it's like a Mexican chicken wrap thing. Don't, yeah. You don't have to play it down now. You've already said it was really posh. We kind of <laughs> Um, no, great way to finish, Faye. Thanks. I know, you, I know you're so busy, and thanks so much for your time. We've, we've loved having you on. Um, some great stories and great insight there into how how, um, how you've you've managed to forge a great career in sports sports broadcasting. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for your time. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you soon again. That'd be great, and um, and hopefully, you enjoy your pint at, at James Bunt's pub when it comes. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, thank you for asking me to do it. Honestly, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Lovely way to spend an hour of my time. Cheers. Hi everyone, remember to follow our Twitter page at Press Room Pod for latest updates, guest announcements and to have your chance to put forward questions to our guests.